everyone and welcome back to Energy Efficiency Optimized, Unlocking the Full Potential of Multiple Impacts, the show that seeks to create a narrative about the multiple benefits of energy efficiency and connect the dots between the theoretical applicability and the real-life applications of multiple benefits through tri-weekly discussions with European energy efficiency experts. This podcast is hosted by the Mika Project, which aims to estimate the multiple impacts of energy efficiency via a free, easy-to-use online tool called the Mika Tool. I'm Anusha Parsai from IECP, and I will be your host for the day. In today's episode, we will be discussing how multiple impacts of energy efficiency can be integrated into policymaking at various levels with Julia Pizzini from IECP and Niklas Mishkovsky from ICLE Europe, which should be of interest for all those clues to the subject of energy efficiency and governance. Hello everyone, today we will be discussing how multiple impacts of energy efficiency can be integrated into policy making and how they can affect the perception and worthiness of energy efficiency at the local, national and EU levels. As a reminder, the MECAT project, which is the host of this series, focuses on calculating the multiple impacts of energy efficiency, as well as the relevance and political needs for tools that quantify these benefits at the local, national, and EU levels. Today's episode will serve as a season wrap-up of sorts, where we will be gathering our thoughts, lessons learned, and policy recommendations for our listeners. Our guests today are Julia Pizzini and Niklas Mishkovsky. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Hi, and thanks for having us today. Same here. Hi, happy to be here and uh, looking forward to this episode. Of course. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and why are you here today? So hi, everyone again. Uh, my name is Julia, and as Annie said, I'm a colleague of ours working for IECP, which is the Institute for European Energy and Climate Policy, uh, a research foundation or think tank based in the Netherlands, which has been working for more than eight years on uh, European energy and climate policy, uh, as the name suggests. Uh, myself, I come from the field of social sciences, and I've been working in energy policy and specifically energy efficiency for the past 10 years. Uh, in the past episodes, you heard all about the architecture of the tool, and uh, in the project, uh, I've been responsible together with Nicholas here for the relationship with our target users, with the objective of creating a tool that is as fit as possible to their needs and expectations. Great. Then also uh, hi again from my side. I'm Nicholas. I'm a head of the governance innovation team at ECLA Europe. ECLA's full name is ECLA Local Governments for Sustainability. Um, it was founded in 1990 as uh, the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives, but the name has changed a bit. Um, and yeah, we consider ourselves the world's leading network of local and regional governments to sustainable development. And uh, in Europe, the European Secretariat has been established since 1992. And we've been working closely mainly with cities in Europe, but also with other networks um, and the European Commission, the Committee of Regions and senior institutions at the EU level. Uh, we're nowadays now around 140 in-house experts on sustainability and communications, and our main office is in southwestern Germany in Freiburg, but we also have a small office in Berlin and a medium-sized office in, in Brussels. And I'm personally actually not an energy efficiency expert. I'm uh, more from the governance and social innovation field, 
I've worked in the past uh, five years on social innovation, also in energy, uh, which has brought me also into the Mikat project. And here, yeah, we've been mostly interested in how the Mikat tool can really support cities' sustainability management at the local level. Okay, to get us started, what is the status quo in terms of the measurement and use of multiple impacts of energy efficiency for policymakers outside of the MECAT projects? Perhaps, uh, Julia, you can begin by telling us a bit about the EU and national level, and Nicolas can contribute to describe the local level. Yes, um, thanks for the question. I would just start with a little refresher. Uh, by saying that the concept of uh, multiple impacts uh, or multiple benefits, co-benefits, non-energy benefits, we'll be using all these terms throughout the episode, uh, have been part of the energy efficiency debate for some time and uh, was brought to the attention of a wider public in 2014 when the IEA, the International Energy Agency, launched a report titled Capturing the Multiple Benefits of Energy Efficiency where the famous flower diagram with the energy efficiency improvements in the center and a number of positive externalities on the outside was first published. Uh, since then, the concept of multiple impacts gained momentum in research and academia. So just last week when preparing for the po this podcast, uh, I tried to look for specific articles on Google Scholar and results for hyphenated multiple benefits together with hyphenated energy efficiency were more than 14,000. Uh, around 2,000 for multiple impacts, uh, 3,000 for non-energy benefits. So there is a lot of literature on this concept. Um, however, the concept still took some time uh, to enter uh, policy debate, which is something we are slowly observing now. So for example, uh, in 2019, member states had to submit their national energy and climate plans, also known as NECP. And in this occasion, uh, the Commission required member states to include in Section 5 of this document, the impact assessment section, the quantification of some of these multiple benefits. And uh, the templates asked, and I quote, macroeconomic and to the extent feasible, the health, environmental, employment and education, skills and social impacts, including fair transition aspects of the planned policies and measures described in Section 3, and quote. Um, so the passage to the extent feasible indicates that the quantification of these impacts was, and still is with the recent submission of the updated draft of the NECP, is not mandatory. However, it marks a first strong signal delivered by the Commission itself. Uh, more recently, and more importantly, I would say, the new Article 3 of the EED, which is the uh, Energy Efficiency Directive, makes the signal even stronger. The text states that member states shall, and I quote, promote and where cost-benefit assessments are required, ensure the application of cost-benefit methodologies that allow proper assessment of wider benefits of energy efficiency solutions from the social perspective. So, so far, I think that multiple benefits successfully made their way into the European energy efficiency discussion, and they slowly start being included in the national one. Great, and then maybe let me pick up where, where Julia ended, moving further down from the European and national down to the local level. I think um, maybe just to, to say that uh, as a the first thing, that as a city network, the, the mantra of our work has been for 30 years now that um, all implementation is local. So whatever is being decided 
at higher uh, levels ultimately needs to be implemented um, yeah, at the local level, and this is then where, where local government and uh, city administrations uh, come into play and have a really crucial role. And this is um, not only maybe uh, where uh, yeah implementation ultimately needs to happen, but this is, of course, also where uh, at the end of the day uh, impacts uh, become visible or become concrete for everyday life, for citizens and so on. And I think this is where probably without being able to quote anything here now directly, this is probably where uh, I think these positive side effects have been uh, part of, of uh, thinking of local decision makers and, and, and politicians for quite a while already. Um, but uh, yeah, increasingly with all the developments that Julia has uh, so nicely described, I think this uh, has also been made more explicit and the whole debate about negative externalities, so all the negative impacts from our economic action uh, be that on health, be that, uh, yeah, be that climate change and heat effects in cities. So all of these things, I think, are very quickly leading into the question of these multiple benefits. If we want to see how can we positively in, uh, impact our environment and our uh, everyday life. So and then maybe more concretely on the on the policy side, then here also um, the, the most prominent initiative um, I would maybe like to add to the different policies that were mentioned um, is uh, the um, European Covenant of Mayors, and this was, I think, the, the first really yeah, large uh, uh, initiative from the European level, which tried to um, strengthen and support cities to submit uh, local climate action plans. And from there also then um, start to yeah, give a push to measurement and reporting of climate action. Um, and this European Covenant of Mayor uh, was started uh, by the European, uh, European Commission itself in 2008. Um, a few years later, there was also the global covenant of mayors started, and yeah, different city networks such as ICLEA are also involved in the, the management and um, facilitation of, of this process. Um, concretely, the European covenant of mayors uh, encompasses uh, more than ten thousand cities, who by signing commit to work with so-called CCAPs, and that stands for Sustainable Energy and Climate Action Plans. And um, yeah, the CCAPs usually contain mitigation and adaptation actions. And this is then also where uh, yeah, the, the entry uh, door for energy efficiency questions lies. And um, also concretely in the Mika project, we have worked with three pilot cities. Those were the city of Tartu in Estonia uh, and the city of Vitoria Stays in northern Spain, as well as the city of Calvia um, on uh, the island of Mallorca, also in Spain. And all of these three cities basically have uh, signed the covenant of um, uh, the covenant of mayors, and um, yeah, also have developed these C caps. And this was for us then uh, really the starting point to develop the tool and to try to find how the tool could help them in the best way possible to implement the actions that they have uh, uh, planned for in these plans. And now I'm curious to discover if there are any existing guidelines on how multiple impacts can be quantified, but more important, leveraged at the local, regional, national or EU levels. Okay, so let me start again with the European and the national level. And for Park Kondice, with what Niklas said before, uh, on top of the three cities, we also had three uh, pilots at the national level. So we had Italy, Poland and Germany. And then we also work with the European level, so with the European Commission and other European relevant organizations. 
Um, regarding the guidelines, um, I think we should start from the fact that, uh, as I said before, multiple impacts are just now entering the policy domain and the new ED was adopted in July this year. So to my knowledge, the European Commission has not yet published the announced guidelines that will support member states in complying with all the articles and specifically with Article 3. Um, and also we are speaking about a directive, not a regulation. So we have to keep in mind that member states have up to two years to transpose uh, the new or amended articles into national legislations. Um, maybe what is worth mentioning is that in October 2021, the Commission published guidelines on the energy efficiency first principle, which includes some sections of multiple impacts. And in particular, when discussing policy analysis and alternatives, the guidelines indicate that on one hand, the evaluation of cost-benefit analysis should be done uh, from different perspectives, including a societal one, and this is very relevant for multiple impacts. And on the other hand, uh, it says that environmental, social, and economic impacts should be part of this assessment. And when discussing uh, possible tools and methodologies, the guidelines listed uh, the Mika tool as one of the possibilities. Yeah, maybe uh, picking up again what Julia said here, um, I think what's also nice about the Energy Efficiency Directive, uh, the, the latest revision, is that it really explicitly mentions the local level. And uh, this was uh, kind of a very symbolic uh, moment, so let's say, because I think this is a trend that we see increasingly policy also thinking all the way down to the local level and to the implementation, which uh, yeah, is highly welcomed from our perspective as a city network, of course. Um, so on the question about existing guidelines, um, I'm aware of colleagues who are working in the area of nature-based solutions. Uh, there we have quite a few guidelines that we developed through some of our projects and um, where yeah, co-benefits or multiple impacts play an important role just because greening in the city is often considered even maybe as a co-benefit uh, of some measures. Um, but in the field of energy, um, to my knowledge, there are like no textbook solutions for like pricing or integrating uh, such benefits for cities. But it's a very uh, lively field of research and development. And um, yeah, some of the cities I've worked with, uh, I think, um, found very helpful uh, the so-called economic case analysis study that uh, material economics has um, developed in the last years. And yeah, some cities are now working with or try to work with to basically communicate to their policymakers because in the study, in this methodology, which is also in similar ways being employed by other uh, service providers, um, the, the actual also financial benefits uh, of climate action are made nicely visible and are backed up by data, which uh, yeah is quite trustworthy. So in the same line, I think the Mika tool has taken up this uh, dynamic in this, this field of research and, and development. And um, yeah, uh, tries to break down the different impacts. And I think what the Mika tool really uh, does nicely is that it's going beyond the financial ones, which are surely uh, very important, especially talking about the cost benefit uh, of certain actions and measures. But um, I think what it shows nicely is the environmental, social and economic uh, effects of energy efficiency measures. And um, yeah, for, for the three cities that joined us in basically uh, co-developing this tool, this was also a part of the motivation that uh, they were looking for something with which they could then work relatively nicely to, to make uh, good cases for certain activities. Um, 
yeah, and that's, I think, where we stand right now. Thank you. Just a question came to my mind on how can the Mika tool be used by stakeholders such as local and national policymakers to provide an inclusive overview of the benefits that energy efficiency can have in their jurisdictions? Yeah, that's actually a very nice uh, question. And I think that the Mika tool can be a very strong asset for policymakers. Uh, especially nowadays when we're witnessing a scary rise of climate change deniers in a large, large number of member states uh, without going into the naming and shaming. But I think that the tool can be relevant, very relevant to all the administrative levels. So I'm sure that Niklas will give us very concrete insights uh, on the local level. But let me just say on a general note that uh, the concept of multiple impacts can shift attention uh, on the benefits generated by the implementation of energy efficiency measures from energy savings and cost savings only, so exactly what Nicholas was saying before, to uh, towards a number of other aspects, such as, for example, the increase in GDP, mitigation of climate risks, alleviation of energy poverty, air quality, including indoor air quality, productivity, health, um, and, and others. And I think this is a very powerful change of narrative as it allows to grab the attention of a much wider public, including politicians or experts who generally work in other fields and that are inclined to think that there are other priorities compared to a reduction in energy consumption. So if we can show this crowd that lowering energy consumption as a direct consequence, not only um, in reducing costs, but also uh, can have positive effects on health, well-being or competitiveness, just to mention a couple, I think uh, it's already quite something. Um, and another important point on a slightly more technical level is that sometimes when comparing supply side with demand side interventions, um, energy savings alone are not sufficient to justify a higher ambition on the demand side. Um, let me give you an example. Um, I think Wolfgang mentioned it in one of the first episodes, but uh, in the Enifers project, uh, my, our colleagues demonstrated that cost-wise, it would be cheaper on the long run to go for a lower level of ambition in energy efficiency and prefer scenarios with a higher energy demand, um, met by higher production of renewable energy, of course. However, as soon as multiple impacts come into play, uh, results change dramatically, showing that from a societal point of view, uh, taking therefore into account a more realistic picture, dramatic demand reduction is the best solution so far. And maybe I can just echo that because I think uh, all the different uh, multiple impacts that Julia mentioned, like, yeah, reducing energy, poverty, air quality, improving air quality, and so on. So all these kind of intuitive, let's say, benefits that uh, we, we want to see uh, also matter on the local level. Um, as I said in the beginning, this is where these impacts become maybe most visible and most uh, concrete. And this is also where yeah, climate change is most visible these days. Um, this is also maybe where climate change denial is most visible. So also here, again, I think there's an interest to have these really uh, data-based um, insights and to to yeah try to uh, bring debates to, to a fact-based, let's say, level um, uh, to uh, increase chances to create consensus ultimately. Um, and so I think all the um, yeah, public officers working in the cities that who are responsible for these topics uh, see such a tool really as a great helping hand, let's say, um, which can uh, help them to inform 
their uh, decision makers, their politicians, um, but also potentially the public. Um, it's something that we weren't able to fully uh, test within the project framework, but I think it's something that also was uh, in reach and there was an interest to also use this tool not only within city administrations, but potentially also with other actors that could be um, businesses, but that could also be energy cooperatives, for example, who want to show the, the additional benefits that they generate through their model. Um, but yeah, as I said, also might be used for public debates um, to, to have a basis that uh, everybody can accept and then uh, uh, rely on to, to come to agreements. Um, yeah, and then um, maybe just a few more lines about how we try to, to approach this uh, within the Mikat project. So the idea has been um, uh, throughout, at some point, let's say, uh, to say, okay, let's take the national level data and EU level data and scale it down based on the country specific numbers uh, to the size of a city. And so that's how we proceeded with uh, the three cities we've worked with. Um, and yeah, and then from there, uh, there was always still the option and still will be the option to actually use locally um, available data. Because I think this is something that, um, yeah, now enters kind of uh, into the, the, the field of, um, of pilot actions and, and further development that is uh, happening and still needed because uh, very few of any city have a very well uh, maintained data management system. So this is something that even those cities that we worked with, which I would say having uh, signed the covenant of mayors, having developed CCAPs and so on, uh, are relatively uh, uh, well uh, set up. They don't have a lot of these data that uh, these tools work with usually. And collecting all this data and then also maintaining these databases and updating them is quite a bit of work. And I think this is something we realized also through the project that it's something that is on the one hand side sought after, but also, uh, yeah, not yet there and has to be looked at in the whole bigger picture of um, which type of staff, which type of skills do cities need to take climate action. And, Data, data management, digitalization is one part of it. There's, of course, a lot of other things. And yeah, cities are usually uh, rather short of um, budgets. So this also then becomes a, a budgetary question. But this is something that I think was quite interesting. And cities agreed that this is something they, they are keen to develop because they see it's becoming more and more relevant to, to on the one hand side, plan actions um, uh, yeah, in the most also financially efficient way, but then also to monitor report and, and communicate what they're doing. And this is something uh, I believe we'll see uh, as a growing field also in the next uh, decade, let's say. Many thanks to both of you for the comprehensive answers. Uh, and now, can you please give examples of the actors that have shown an interest in using the Mika tool for this purpose in the future? Yeah, I can uh, reply for what concerns the EU and national level as usual. So, for example, last spring I was in a meeting uh, where all member states were represented with their energy agencies or energy ministries. Um, and in that occasion, I gave a presentation of the tool and received a lot of interest by all um, participants who were there, who I have to say were a bit worried. Uh, about the lack of tools to carry out the calculations required by the new Article 3 of the EED. So especially for some uh, member states, setting up a whole methodology uh, or 
calculation tool from scratch can be quite resource intense. And I'm sure that uh, the rest of our colleagues from the tool development team can confirm that. Uh, and therefore, yeah, not doable. And this is where the Mika tool um, is fit for purpose uh, because all of the reasons that the colleagues uh, already explained in previous episodes. Uh, so first of all, users can insert their own input data, which the tool would use substituting the data used by default uh, in case there is uh, some data that is not available, which is uh, an issue that is not only um, concerning the local level, as Nicholas explained before, but could also be relevant for the national level, for example. And then the tool is uh, open source, which means that with a bit of um, coding uh, knowledge, it can be further adapted to each user's specific need. And um, on top also the commission has, also, has always shown a lot of interest in the tool. And uh, yeah, we do expect more and more users to be interested in the more, the more time passes because also our tool is, um, is something new and it will need some time to be taken up by the targeted users. Yeah, and let me just add to that from the local experience. So we basically did focus group workshops to test the prototype of the tool, inviting um, the key stakeholders at the local level. These were partly also then defined by the cities we work with. So um, but if I look at all the three together, uh, we really had a very yeah, diverse set of stakeholders who participated. So on the one hand side, of course, we had the uh, city administration itself. So there we had different departments, um, depending on the city, usually a climate department, environmental department, who would be in charge also of their uh, uh, development of the um, sustainable energy and climate action plans. Um, but then we also had regional uh, government organizations. So in the case of Mallorca, for example, there's the regional island authority, which is also involved in the whole reporting and measurement of climate actions and who's an important player. Um, we had in, in one workshop, we had also, or in two workshops, actually, we had uh, uh, companies uh, and also here quite a mix. We had some of the larger employers in, in one city, which were a university or a larger uh, beverage um, producer uh, who is interested in really reducing their own energy uh, use and, and yeah, employing efficient technology and everything. So that, um, but then also we had uh, from the business side in terms of research and um, uh, consultancies, we also had quite a strong interest because also these players, of course, uh, yeah, are keen to have good tools with, with, which, they, with which they can work. Um, and ultimately also policymakers. Um, we didn't have like the whole city council there, but we had a few representatives who took part. Um, we also had uh, regional energy agencies. And maybe this last point, yeah, also brings me to, to a potential outlook maybe on working with such uh, tools. I think that especially for smaller municipalities who might not have the um, the staff capacity to uh, set up full-blown data management system themselves and, and develop all these uh, tools or employ, employ all these tools, I would say that regional energy agencies could play quite an uh, interesting and helpful role in basically um, being uh, a more central service provider who holds the knowledge, who has the, the staff um, to then go into the municipalities and, sort and support them in uh, implementing 
and applying these tools. Um, so these were all some of the different actors who have and who will have an interest in such tools and um, yeah, how I could see this going ahead also. Thank you. And now just two questions came to my mind and I'm wondering which policies currently mention multiple impacts or alternatively do you think could benefit from the integration of multiple impacts? And the other question is, what would be the effects of multiple impacts integration into local, national and EU policy making in terms of social, economic and environmental impacts? Maybe you can give some thought provoking numbers or statistics. Well, I think on the first question, Julia already mentioned this energy efficiency directive, which is probably the most impactful right now in which also the uh, member states will have to uh, adopt and translate in one way or the other. Um, what could be the effects? I think we also we touched upon it already, but uh, I would really say the main potential and interest lies in, in using these tools for a data-based um, decision-making and um, convincing the public, maybe convincing policymakers by providing this like science-based uh, argumentation through the tool's outputs. I think that's really uh, where what, what the idea is maybe in the first place, but maybe Julia has some additional points to that. But um, yeah, um, and as, as Julia also said, I mean, we, we see quite a wave also of skepticisms of maybe also simply fear in the uh, population of several countries uh, about certain measures and the impacts and the negative impacts on their livelihood and um, the cost of life let's say um, so I think also here it can be used to really counter a certain fear counter the spread of fake news which is also another phenomenon of our time that doesn't really help I would say and uh, this might be where these tools actually uh, yeah well, can play an important role all of that only uh, if it's really also transparent how they work. I think this was also something at the local level we saw that um, there's quite a high level of expertise needed if you want to operate the tool by yourself. So you either, either need somebody who can run you through or you need some additional uh, resources like fact sheets. This is something that uh, will be developed for the Mika tool, which basically for a certain prediction, for a certain outcome um, also explain a little bit the assumptions, the data that was used and so on. So if we t if we take it this way, uh, uh, the, the predictions that the tool gives you, plus some like easy to read material that explains to you how uh, this prediction was made, I think this uh, is maybe a good recipe to really uh, make sure, um, yeah, this potential of being a data and science-based uh, support uh, can, can become true. Yeah, I have not much to add, to be honest. I, I totally agree with you. And I think that um, the real uh, benefit of this tool is that it's able to deliver some science-based data uh, and that it takes into account or it starts from the perspective of, of society. So this is uh, really a starting point from where to uh, find concrete solutions to the problems we are facing nowadays. And uh, you did say well that we should be totally transparent about the functioning of the tool. And I think that uh, this approach uh, poses also some ethical questions. Uh, of course, we need to reduce everything to 
value to monetary value or as much as possible and uh, uh, what value can be given to a human life for example or what is the value of ecosystem services or how can you quantify in monetary terms the fact that you did not develop a cancer uh, this is a problem uh, and as such i think we should be careful and be fully transparent and inform the users that this exists however I, I also believe that using models or indicator-based approaches, like in our case, and try to assess in advance the societal cost implied in making wrong decisions is worth a little uh, leap of faith, let's call it. So I'm not saying that uh, we would stop making mistakes because it's easy to make mistakes even using science, but it's anyways, I think, better than doing uh, things or taking decisions basing ourselves on wrong beliefs or gut feelings, which again is uh, something that seems to be quite popular uh, these days. As a thought-provoking uh, sentence or statement, I have not done the calculations uh, and maybe this could be a good exercise for the winter period, but I'm quite sure that if we could make uh, the calculations with the Mika tool, we could demonstrate that uh, reaching climate neutrality with to 2050 with all its implications, including changes, fuel switches, change of habits, behavior, and everything, uh, would be much, much cheaper than inaction. It would be great if you could also tell us a bit about the stakeholders' engagement in the MECA tool development and future additional features of the tool. Yeah, um, I mean, I believe I already mentioned most of the stakeholders that we had at the local level. Um, and the additional features of the tool are maybe something that's more up for our tool developers really than, than for me now. I think what I mentioned, this, this fact sheet, um, uh, that's maybe a feature that the tool uh, would benefit from, um, at least for the local level, to be trusted and then used uh, uh, yeah, more, more willingly. Um, all in all, I believe, I mean, in terms of stakeholder engagement, we had those three cities, we had those different stakeholders from business, from regional agencies, regional government. Uh, this was all great, but this was uh, certainly really just a first kind of prototyping work. And um, I think also in, in the result, we have seen that the, the tool has a lot of potential and um, yeah, it's still being developed uh, whilst we speak. So um, we had these workshops in, in uh, summer this year so uh, I hope something has happened since then and who knows what it looks like right now but uh, I think there was still a lot of user friendliness kind of to be improved uh, and this is ultimately then also where uh, its uptake let's say will uh, depend on because um, if it's a tool that is not self-explanatory uh, people will also not use it so much so maybe this is where I think some additional features um, I, from my perspective um, uh, concern mostly the user friendliness of the tool and there have been also ideas on the table so I, I believe this will still be uh, done to the best possible uh, until this project ends but this uh, will be something for the future if we look at um, providing tools to local governments in general and I think this was also something maybe a bit uh, zooming out from the project uh, directly but where uh, it needs to yeah, be considered in the bigger picture of other tools that are out there because energy efficiency is of course only one aspect of climate action 
and sustainability in, in the in the bigger sense. And uh, yeah, many people develop many tools, and I think we have to. Uh, if we want cities to actually use them in the end, we have to pay attention to creating uh, uh, linkages, um, creating maybe possibilities for embedding different tools um, so that uh, there's not this labyrinth of different tools out there and you, again, need to be highly experienced or have a high level of expertise to be able to even use them properly. So this is something maybe on a on a bit of a meta level again uh, to, to pay attention to for the future. Yeah, I agree with you, Nicholas, although I think you would be quite amazed by the last version of the tool. I was uh, lucky enough to see it in the last uh, national workshop we had with Italy quite recently, and the front end improved quite a lot. Uh, so I think it is indeed important to uh, make this type of technical tools as user-friendly as possible. It would never be completely user-friendly, but of course it's not normal people, uh, but rather technical people who are working uh, on these issues that are supposed to be using it. So yeah, let's hope that we make it as user-friendly as possible for them. And, and I think this was also one of the most innovative aspects of the project because as Nicholas said, we had the three cities. And as I mentioned before, we had the, the three um, pilot countries plus the European level. So we tried to test the tool with a three-step methodology. So we met with all the users or the future users uh, before starting to gather expectations. Uh, then we met again uh, halfway through the project to receive feedback on a first draft of the tool. And uh, the last one that I was just referring to uh, of these uh, meetings was to deliver a sort of training and to get the last uh, feedbacks. And uh, uh, ideally, this will continue also in the next years. And uh, we should also be able to offer some sort of help desk service uh, to the users so that if they have specific questions, they can refer to the team. Uh, and, uh, and again, as Nicola said, uh, it's important not to think in silos. So one of the future um, features of the tool would be to embed also the multiple impacts of uh, uh, on the supply side, so on renewable energy sources, in order to make the energy efficiency first principle uh, possible or more possible, more operational, let's say, uh, and allowing the tool to compare not only energy efficiency interventions, but also to compare them with the um, interventions on the supply side. I would like to thank you both for your thoughts. From what we spoke about today, I gather that the more visible the energy efficiency directives, which mentions multiple impacts, the more present multiple impacts will likely be across several policies at both EU and national levels. For those of you listening to today's episode, thanks for tuning and we encourage you to follow the progression of these policies and directives as well. To engage with us and share your opinion after each episode, follow the MECAT project and continue discussions on Twitter at MECAT underline EU or on LinkedIn at MECAT dash multiple impacts calculation tool. This brings season one of Efficiency Optimized to a close, but stay tuned for our upcoming season likely beginning next year. And until next time, where we discuss how multiple benefits for energy efficiency affects you.